Hello, and welcome to the Motivate Change podcast, inspiring heart disease survivors to live a longer, healthier life. I'm your host, Devin Brzezinski, a fellow heart disease survivor and occupational therapy student here to help you navigate a world of uncertainty after a cardiac event. Today, we are going to talk about the importance of mental health and learn some coping strategies around managing your stress. So you may be feeling a lot of different emotions right now, which is completely normal. And what you have endured is traumatic and it should be recognized. We know that trauma through research that trauma triggers our sympathetic nervous system response, which gets stored in our physical bodies. And that can lead to negative long-term consequences like high blood pressure, poor digestion, depression, anxiety, all of these other um, comorbidities. So the good news is there are many different strategies to help manage the stress. And that's why I'm extremely excited to introduce Lucas Rockwood. He is the founder of Yoga Body and Yoga Teachers College. He's an internationally renowned yoga teacher, TEDx speaker, entrepreneur, podcaster, and author. So welcome, Lucas. Thanks, Devin. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, I am just, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm not only a fan of your work, but as a fellow yoga instructor, um, but I feel like this episode is really going to help a ton of people. Um, so I wanted to jump into um, maybe a little bit about your background, how you got into yoga in the first place and what it really does for you. I find that when people get into a health and wellness journey, probably a lot like you and your listeners, usually it's because of a crisis. Unfortunately, I wish that we were motivated by carrot, but most of us are motivated by a stick, meaning some type of painful situation that happens, whether it's a cardiac arrest, whether it's a drug overdose, whether it's getting arrested or something, unfortunately, something bad has to happen. Usually I always say that I was fortunate to have a health crisis very young so much easier to bounce back when you're young. Mm -hmm. but in my early twenties, I had a real problem with drugs and alcohol. I had a problem with food and lack of sleep and mm -hmm. just living a really unhealthy lifestyle. And the short story version of it is a couple months after September 11th, I was living in New York city at the time. And that was a difficult time. And a couple months after September 11th, I was visiting my parents for uh, Christmas holiday in Southern California. And we were out for a jog, which was uh, very difficult for me. And I ended up in the back of an ambulance. I had a, a drug-related grand mal seizure in front of my parents. And oh my um, so, you know, I'm unconscious for something like 12 minutes, chewing on my tongue, you know, writhing on the floor and, mm -hmm. and a couple of things, you know, I don't remember it. So that part's not so bad. You know, you, you bruise up your hip from falling and these kind of, not so bad, but like the humiliation of being a 20 something person who should have their act together convulsing in front of their parents. It was a, a very much needed wake up call. And so that event, it it really kind of set me on a path of seeking something better, different mm -hmm. friends, different focus, different lifestyle. And I think probably like a lot of people listening, when something happens, you know, you need to do something else, but it's so difficult when all you really know, you know, my entire social group was based around drugs and alcohol my entire life, I just didn't really have any reference points. So you kind of start and stop and fumble and fall. And as long as you keep moving in the direction, you often end up where you need to be. But I guess 
we're all looking for quick fixes and things get better faster, but they don't get perfect all the time fast. It takes, it takes quite, quite a journey. And so, um, like I said, when I was, it was young, so I was in my early twenties, so you can bounce back really fast. You know, you can, you can run head first into a wall when you're 23 years old and you can bounce back pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so with hindsight, I realized that was really quite fortunate to happen for most people. Their health crisis happens in their forties, much more common in their fifties. And almost certainly if they haven't yet had one, people have some health crisis in their sixties, whether that's a type two diabetes diagnosis, whether that is a, uh, uh, postmenopausal huge weight gain, whether that is, I don't know, ED in men or you know, something hits them in the face or a cardiac event, like you had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And then we start looking, we start looking. And, um, and so I started looking, I found yoga and that sort of set me on this path of practicing and teaching. And then I left the States and here I am 20 years later. And I'm more surprised than anyone that it's still working as a, as a job <laughs> and as a career and all of the above. So, <laughs> well, you've definitely, I think made a name for yourself in the yoga community. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I had no idea um, that background. And like you, I think you said something really profound because there was a moment where you said like, it didn't happen all at once, right? You kind of compounded on top of one another, um, like these small little habits. And I think that's really important for at least the patients that I work with, because now that something huge has happened, now it's like, there's, there's no one size fits all when it comes to health and wellness. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, do I start with my nutrition? Do I start with my sleep? Do I start with um, getting more physical activity. Do I start with my mental health? And so there's all of these different areas that we can go and it's really hard to just pick one. But I think as long as you, as you, if you pick one at a time and it's very digestible and and then adding on top of that, I think that's what makes lifestyle habits sustainable long-term. Oftentimes we forget how long it took to develop the patterns that got us into trouble. You know, I had my health crisis, I guess it was 2000, right before 2002. So, you know, I was 24 years, 23 years old, basically 23, mm-hmm. 24 years old, but those patterns were set in place for 10 years. You know, I struggled to socialize when I was an early teenager, found drugs and alcohol, found a social group, defined my whole adolescence with that whole lifestyle, which I, I can, it's like a foggy memory now. I can't even relate to it, but uh, a lot of people, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's food addiction, whether it's overwork, whether it's uh, toxic relationships, uh, a lot of us have a lot of time invested in this. And the the idea that you can unravel that in six or eight weeks, it's not really realistic. That's the challenging part. The good part, the thing that I get so excited about with health and wellness, which is not true with other things you want to change in your life, is every step along the way feels better. And so for people listening, if they do something, like you mentioned, they focus on their sleep tonight or they focus on one healthy meal tonight, or they go for a 30 minute walk outside tonight, they'll feel better tomorrow. Yeah. It doesn't fix everything, but the the payoff is so much faster. You know, there's three big things we work on in life is health, wealth, relationships, and the wealth and relationships. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend to tell you I have any expertise there, but you know, you can, you can really flail your whole life. It's really difficult. Um, and there's so many things that are out of your control, whether you're born in the wrong country or so, so many different things, but with health, it's really for most of us, at least people living in, in developed countries, it's pretty democratized. If, if you want it, if you want it, you can feel better tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, I really encourage people to get excited about is a lot of people haven't felt good ever. And they don't really realize that. And so you might have a full two years, five years, maybe even a decade where year on year, 
you can feel better than the year before. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really wrap their head around that because the, the the journey seems so insurmountable. It's just like this, you know, whether it's losing the weight or getting the type two diabetes under control or getting their A1C down or the trigl- whatever it might be that they need to do. It just seems like this crazy mountain. But when you realize it's not that every step up the mountain gets harder, it, just, it gets easier because you feel better every step of the way and you can literally feel better a couple of years from now than you do now. And it's not that you get younger, but you can feel like a better version of yourself in your older age, which I I think people don't really wrap their head around that. They just kind of assume we're plotting towards the grave, which of course we are. But because so many of us have neglected our health, you have this amazing opportunity to like really make gains for a long time, like a really long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point because if you, if you haven't noticed or you haven't felt really good in a very long time or ever, then you don't know what to compare it to. I mean, I grew up playing sports my whole life. So I've known that like physically, I like being in shape. I like how I feel when I come out of the gym and I'm like a little sore the next day. Like that's Mm. completely normal to me. But for somebody that might not have that same experience, that's scary to them. And so, um, and then when it goes to mental health, like that was a huge thing for me with yoga is I felt like when you're in Shavasana or if there's certain meditations that I would do and I almost felt like I was like this out of body experience. And I felt like Mm. at a higher level, a better version of myself, I was able to take that off of the mat and like actually apply it to things in my everyday life. Um, Mm. So that's why I was really excited to talk to you today, because I think I'm one of what, 38 million people that have seen your TEDx video (laughs) (laughs) on, um, on different breathing techniques. And your specialty is the water coffee, whiskey breathing. So Mm. I'm curious, like, where did that originate from? Um, and yeah, how did you, how did you really come about that breath work? More than anything, I'm a student. I like to learn things and I've always been frustrated because it's so difficult to learn anything. It's just really, really hard to learn complex things. I'll give you an example. I've been trying to learn how to read cholesterol panels for, I don't know how long. I think I've read three books, listened to four lectures. I don't Mm -hmm. know how many hours on YouTube. I still can't really figure it out. And that's really frustrating because I know it's not that complicated. It's just very, very poorly taught. Now, somebody in the comments will send me a message and explain it to me, which is why I mentioned it. But there's a whole bunch of things that are like that. And nutrition is like that. That's why I spent so much time with nutrition. It's like this black box where everything's confusing and complicated. And Mm -hmm. the people working in the industry, it almost feels like they try to add value through complexity, holding onto their job by making it so convoluted that you have to hire. I don't know what it is, but um, yoga breathing was always kind of like that. My early pranayama teachers, they would tell me, you know, this is only for like the elite yoga students and must be practicing yoga asana for years before you get introduced to these. And, you know, this practice is contraindicated for this and that, and these are all medicinal. And I, I, I really, I really, really don't like I, I don't like thing when things are gated, when there's hierarchy or a class system. Uh-huh. And I kind of grew up in in the yoga world that was, this has kind of gone away, but back in the old days, things were very, very regimented in most of the lineages. And so I got really frustrated. I was like, Why are we doing this? Like, we, we can't, like breathing is different. It's different when you breathe fast or when you breathe slow. It's different if you prefer one nostril or, or the other. 
any case, I went on a podcast tour, I don't know how long ago, about five years ago. And I think I gave like 50 talks or something trying to explain breathing and it started off bad. And then it got a little better and then it got a little better and it got a little better. And then finally, I kind of just distilled everything down into this paradigm, which is water, whiskey, coffee, which is what you mentioned. And this is certainly nothing that I've invented. It's just a way to codify and think about breathing. Mm-hmm. If we were to walk in the grocery store right now with a nutritional coach, where they would start if they were a good coach, where they would start is on the macro level. And what they would say is, let's walk down the middle aisles. And what we'll find here is mostly a bunch of carbohydrates. Let's go over to the cold storage aisle over here and we'll find a bunch of proteins in the meat section. Let's come over here and this oils and nuts and seeds area, we'll find mostly fats. And so from a nutritional perspective, of course, we could talk about like whatever. We could talk about magnesium and we can talk about zinc and we can talk about goji berries and we can talk about uh, polyphenols. But the, the first conversation, the starting conversation is let's understand the macro picture, fats, proteins, and carbs. Because if you don't have that in play, the the goji berries and the cacao nibs, none of that stuff really matters. So from, from a breathing perspective, the same kind of thing happens where people get enamored with one breathing technique or they get enamored with like a nutrition bone broth, right? It's like people write books about the bone broth miracle. Uh, mm-hmm. Great bone bone broth. That's great. But that's not a diet. That's not, you know, that, that's right. not a... <laughs> It's it's great that you're into bone broth, or it's great that you're into green smoothies, or it's great that you're into paleo diet, or whatever it is. It's all it's all great, but that that's it's a very very myopic view. So when you walk into the world of yoga breathing, you get really overwhelmed with four seven eight, with box breathing, controlled mm-hmm. hyperventilation, holotropic breathing. It it's all kind of branded. It's guru based. It's it, it's it's all very, it feels very exclusive, and it's supposed to boost your immune system, keep you from getting COVID, do all this crazy stuff. It's like, uh, here's how it works. If you breathe really fast, it stimulates your sympathetic nervous system. The way to think about it is just dot, 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 as if. So if you're breathing dot, 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 as if you were running, but you're not running, what's going to happen? Is it going to be calming? No, it's not going to be calming. It's going to be stimulating. Stimulating Mm -hmm. of what? When we look at our autonomic nervous system, we typically put it into two branches, our sympathetic in our parasympathetic branches. So fast breathing stimulates that sympathetic response that you mentioned earlier, which we tend to think of as negative, but it's only negative if it's in balance, right? And so the sympathetic response is going to help your body allocate resources in a way that's advantageous for the situation that you're in, assuming you're in a situation that demands it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a classic example would be like you're crossing the street and a car comes and honk, 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 you need to jump out of the way. So you would inhale... And that inhale in and of itself is young in nature. It's sympathetic, upregulating in nature. And your body needs to do a resource allocation. Just like you can't do all your tasks at once in the day, your body can't prioritize all the parts of your body at the same time. So Mm -hmm. what your body does in that moment is your pupils dilate, your heart beats, and the blood glows to your muscles and your, your heart and your lungs disproportionately. And your bowels shut down. That's sort of like why you... There's this stereotype like in the movies, like somebody gets scared and they soil their pants. It it can happen, right? Because their Mm -hmm. digestive system, it just says, don't really care about what's happening down there. Let's focus on not getting hit by the car. So that's a sympathetic response. And the the reason we would want to breathe that way is to put ourselves in a ready state for exercise, in a ready state for the day, to spike our cortisol levels. And the challenge with speaking about our nervous system is we immediately want to put a value judgment on sympathetic being bad and evil and stress being bad and evil and (laughs) parasympathetic being good. And this idea that we all just want to live life chilled out and relaxed. 
But that's not the case. We need to balance both. And the cycle, you can think of it like the tides, right? You want the high tide and the low tide. And mm-hmm. in the morning, we want to have a sympathetic response. We want to have a cortisol spike in the morning, and that wants to dissipate throughout the day. We have different moments where we toggle on our autonomic nervous system level between sympathetic, so a fight, flight, but that's kind of extreme. Also just busy work, emptying your inbox, decluttering your home, doing the dishes, running errands, and then rest and digest, connecting, deep cognition, feelings of peace and love and interpersonal connection. And we toggle between these really frequently. And this is why people get so frustrated with their own nervous system and why we try to override it with all kinds of stuff like coffee and chocolate and alcohol and cannabis and Hagen does and Netflix binging and because we get we get frustrated because these cycles, you know, it's like you set up your beach, your, your beach towel next to the water, you fall asleep and you wake up and the tides come in and you, oh, the stupid ocean. No, the ocean's coming, you know? And so we sit down and we're convinced that we're going to spend four hours this morning, Devin, just plotting out the next month of podcasts. And then two hours into it, we're, we're buzzed out and we can't <laughs> focus and we're convinced our brain's broken and we have ADD or whatever it is. Like, no, it's just your... It's your nervous system cycle. We're not designed to hunt and gather all day long. We're not designed to rest and digest all day long. So when we look at this paradigm of coffee, water, and whiskey, it just helps us understand how our breathing can represent our nervous system and how we can use our breathing. We can flip the script and use our breathing to override our nervous system. Everyone already knows this kind of intuitively, but like if you walk into a grocery store and there's someone screaming about who knows what they scream about masks or politics or parking or who knows. And they're, you know, their shoulders are all up near their ears and they're breathing short and shallow. That's a classic example of a coffee category breathing pattern. They're breathing 20, maybe 30 plus breaths per minute in terms of rate. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you were going to go to a church or a synagogue or a temple and the spiritualish person is in front of the place, they're almost always going to be soft in their shoulders, slightly slouched. They often have a little bit of a gut and they're breathing slow and low, almost always, right? If you went into a place of worship and the person in the front of the room was up here in their shoulders, you'd probably get a little sketched out and walk out of the room. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. <laughs> and then the final one is water breathing. And this is the this is the boring middle that no one wants to talk about. If you search breathing online, you'll find this really, really slow breathing. And then you'll find the really fast breathing is very popular because we all like to get stimulated. Mm-hmm. What nobody wants to talk about is the boring middle, which is exactly where all of the interesting things in health and wellness happen, which is balance, right? You don't sleep all day, you sleep enough. You don't work all day, you work enough. Yep. You don't eat You don't eat all day, you eat enough. You don't fast all day, you take a little bit of break from food. And so water breathing is where we want to spend most of our time, which is in a balanced state. And just like most people overeat, just like most people undersleep, just like most people overstress, most people also overbreathe. So they're slightly overbreathing all of the time. And to normalize our breath means to bring it down into a rhythm that's optimal for that nervous system balance so that if and when it's appropriate, we can inhale, jump out of the way of the car, and we can exhale and relax in the couch with our special someone after dinner or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's important. We also recognize that this breathing happens automatically, right? We don't really have to think about it. And I I appreciate that you mentioned that we have different times of day that these systems are both working because I talk about with my patients a lot, the impact of 
good stress versus bad stress. Mm. And that way, like we're not going to completely eliminate the amount of stressors that we encounter every day, but it's about being able to recognize it in the moment and then maybe using, if you notice yourself that you're like really anxious at a time that you don't necessarily need to be, or someone came into that coffee shop and they were really rude to you. And now, now you just feel like your blood is boiling, right? Like you are highly charged. What are some things that you can do in that moment to maybe help calm and regulate yourself? Um, because we do have control or some control over our breath when we pay attention to it. So as you mentioned, the breath is part of our autonomic nervous system. So it, it it's automatic. You don't have to teach a baby to breathe, yeah. but learning, learning to breathe can be really helpful so that you have a tool to manage those situations where your nervous system gets a little spun out of control. The coffee shop is an example, a perfect example of one. This happens to all of us here and there. And even as it's happening, we know it's ridiculous and we still can't happen. We can't, we can't stop it from happening. I was over the holidays, I was at a grocery store and some people start screaming at each other in the parking lot, like racial slurs and yelling this. And the one guy almost hit the other person in the car. And mm-hmm. this is both, both parties were just ridiculous people, ridiculous. And they had nothing to do with me. And I wasn't interacting and I can just feel myself spun up. Uh-huh. There's absolutely, there's nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done, right? These people are going to go home and go on Twitter and scream at each other also. And, you know, there's just nothing to be done. And yet, you know, you react. And so I, I mentioned this ridiculous example because I'm sure this has happened to most people listening today, like on social media, something just some hateful troll stuff just spins you out. And so we have this, this dysregulated response to a world that is overstimulating. And so it can be really helpful to learn how to control your breath so we can push it back. So again, breathing happens all by itself and left to its own devices, your breath will sort itself out. We can get ping-ponged around by these events that we get exposed to at way too high of a level. You know, So right now we have all kinds of information about negative news that is not really in our biology, our physiology, our neural wiring to process. And so it can be really helpful to have self-soothing tools that are healthy. We've got all kinds of other tools that people use. The typical ones are, you know, to, to cool down, people will use half a bottle of red wine, a, a vape pen, sleeping pills, mm-hmm. melatonin, all, all, all kinds of different things that people use. And there's a time and a place for those things. I'm not saying become a Puritan, but if you have a healthy tool, why not utilize that? If you have something, you know, you could lean on that isn't going to lead to detrimental stuff down the road. So on a really simple level is just flipping the script. So if I breathe as if I were that monk or that priest or that rabbi in front of the congregation, slow and low breathing, I can help to encourage my nervous system back down to a regulated state. Now, it isn't as heavy handed as a Percocet. It isn't as strong as half a bottle of red wine, but your nervous system does get conditioned. And this is part of what you mentioned earlier about your yoga practice coming off the mat. A lot of times people articulate that like you did, but they don't really go a little deeper and say, why did that happen? A lot of it has Mm -hmm. to do with nervous system training. So when you do a yoga class that's taught well, you do poses that are deliberately stressful and then you breathe as if they're not stressful. And by acting cool and calm in a really uncomfortable pose, like a wheel pose, which never stops being uncomfortable, you Mm -hmm. train your nervous system to manage that parking lot confrontation that I mentioned in a way that's a lot more adaptive, which is it's not that you don't notice it. It's not that it doesn't affect you but you're able to self-soothe and recover in the same way that you might recover from a sprint where your heart normalizes quickly as opposed to being 
run away for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to give us an example or go through a demo of what that might look like? Sure. So it, it really comes down to math. And so with breathing, again, if we were to go out on the street right now and measure people's breathing, which unfortunately is very hard to do because as soon as you ask somebody to check their breathing, they either start breathing really fast or really slow, really deep, but you can do it when you can observe people and you can record it. And so we do have this data and some of the trackers are pretty accurate as well. But if we were to go out, you know, what we would want to find is people breathing, I don't know, maybe 12 breaths, 15 breaths, 18 breaths per minute, somewhere around there. Everyone's a little bit different. There's no perfect thing. But what we'll find is most people are breathing 18, 20, 22, 25 breaths per minute. So they're over breathing. Why does that matter? In the short term, it doesn't matter at all. But in the long term, they're just overloading their system with extra stress that isn't necessary. In the long term, they're creating a gas exchange imbalance that not so detrimental in the short term, but long-term can lead to problems. So what this looks like, if we come down to a really pedestrian example, like the parking lot or the coffee shop or whatever it is, is changing the rate. So that fast breathing, if we define it as 20 breaths per more or minute, a really slow breathing would be three breaths per minute or slower. And then the balancing breath, people refer to it as coherent breath. People refer to it as, yeah, all, all kinds of different names people will use. But this idea of a sort of an equilibrium breath, it's half your normal rate, twice your normal volume. And what that looks like is slow, low breathing at around four, five, six breaths per minute. The At this point, everybody's eyes are crossed and they go, okay, was this a math puzzle or what are we doing here? So <laughs> essentially, essentially what it means is like in a typical breath, if you imagine like a water bottle, you get it like a gas station or whatever, that's like a 500 milliliter, half liter bottle of water. Uh-huh. And that, that's like a, a normal breath, like as we're hanging out here talking, we're breathing about that much. When we would do a balancing breath practice, which I would categorize as a water category, a coherent balancing breath, we would double that volume. So we would deliberately breathe in more, but we'd also throttle the rate. So we'd slow it down. So exact same amount of gas exchange, but when we slow down the breath, it's like putting the brakes on our nervous system. The reason it's important to mention that we double the volume is because we're not messing around with CO2 or oxygen. We're simply, we're deliberately consciously affecting the rate at which we breathe Mm -hmm. and so that we can have that nervous system impact. So what that would look like, me in the grocery store parking lot, I didn't do this, but I should have. What you do is inhale, it's, it's, it's nose, nose breathing, by the way. And we would go in for one, two, three, four. And then we go out through our nose for four, three, two, one. If you imagine a pendulum swing, there's a slight pause at the top. So there's a silent number five and there's a slight pause at the bottom. So there's a silent number zero. And you would essentially do 10 rounds of that, which will take you around two minutes. And very, very quickly, you can help to get your nervous system under control. Now, like anything, the more you do it, the more it gets habituated. Your nervous system responds very well to schedules and habit and routine In the same way, if you always have a cup of tea before bed, it's hard to fall asleep without the cup of tea. If you Mm -hmm. always listen to music to get you pumped for the gym, it's hard to do it without it. That's all nervous system entrainment. And so that next time when that happens in the coffee shop or the parking lot or whatever it is, it might not work as well as you'd like, but if you carry Mm -hmm. on practicing, you entrain that nervous system response. And like you mentioned, the yoga coming off the mat, these little triggers start to really, really work in terms of self-soothing with your nervous system. 
Yes. I was going to say it definitely took a lot of practice to be able to do this in the moment. Mm. So are there any tricks that you have up your sleeve um, about how somebody could start incorporating this type of breathing and touching themselves while it's happening? Sure. I, I think that, I think the first thing is to be kind to yourself and just know that it doesn't really matter how often you do these things. You know, it's like, uh, you know, one of the most famous meditation teachers in the world is Sam Harris. And he's like one of the angriest people I've ever heard in the world. You know, he's, he's, he's a quite a famous podcaster for people who don't know. If you ever listen to him, he's just like supercharged about politics and angry all the time. And so uh, give yourself a pass. It doesn't mean you don't get angry. It doesn't mean you don't get spun out, but it does mean that you have a tool. That's that's really the, the most important thing and, and a productive tool. You know, if you're rolling around in bed and it's 2 a.m. and your only tool is the ambient or the Percocet or whatever it might be, that's not great. You know, that's not great. And right. so the more you do it, the more you do it. The other thing that sometimes the actual structure it is just too much. People just so spun out. They're like, I can't count. I can't do anything. So sometimes I just encourage people to take a breathing break, which people assume is terrible for them, but it's mm -hmm. not at all. And what this looks like, Devin, is you just take a gentle inhale, hold your breath, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, four rounds. And I like to think about it like a hammer wrapped in a pillow, just kind of bonking you on the head. <laughs> and it, 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 it's, um, it's a very blunt tool, but sometimes in those moments when you're really spun out, it can be helpful just to stop breathing and immediately people go, but what about my oxygen? I need oxygen. You don't, you can measure it. You can put a little pulse oximeter on your finger. 30 seconds breath hold is absolutely nothing. Your blood oxygen doesn't budge. You've got plenty in there. It's a very simple way for you to, you know, get, get some control over your nervous system. And it's a much better way then stutter, stop slurping your breath and, and jerking around as you might be if you're all wound up. So uh, breath pause, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, four rounds can be a really great blunt, blunt fuzzy pillow solution. <laughs> Thank you so much for that suggestion and that tool. Um, I think that's all we have time for today, but I could genuinely continue talking to you about this for hours. I think that you are a wealth of knowledge. So thank you. Okay. Where can our listeners find you? How can they reach out to you if they have further questions, if they want to follow you? Uh, my main website is yogabody.com and I have a podcast as well called the Lucas Rockwood show. And if you like this stuff, you might like my YouTube channel. I publish uh, science-based yoga videos once a week, which is yoga body on YouTube. Perfect. Thank you, Lucas, so much for your time today. Everyone go check out yogabody.com, Lucas Rockwood on Instagram. I'm going to put everything in the show notes so it's really easy and accessible for you all to access it. Um, but thank you again so much for joining. Thank you, Devin. I appreciate it. I am blown away and humbled by this interview with Lucas today because he just makes health and wellness so easy to understand and he does that through giving us simple real life examples i think that everyone can relate to there are so many good tidbits in this episode i highly encourage you to go back listen to maybe even three times and then share this with your best friend because they need to hear this information too i'm going to link all of our contact information in the show notes if you have any questions, please, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. But until next time, stay happy, stay healthy. This is Devin.